is a, a basically a, a summary of all the, of the teachings of the Bible through the narrative form. If you haven't picked up a copy of the story, we have them in the Great Hall. Please pick one up. Love for you to have that to join us. And we're in chapter two of the story. And of course, last week we began in the very beginning, uh, Genesis chapter one, verse one, the very first verse of the Bible and the very first chapter of the Bible with the very first sentence of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's very significant. The first subject of the first sentence of the Bible is God, for God is the principal subject of Scripture. God is the principal person who's moving in and through our world today. And so as we talked about, as we read through the Scriptures, we've got to see where is it that God is at work and how is God moving? And as we talked about in, the, the, in uh, the sermon in Genesis 1, then in Sunday school class, and we've got a combined Sunday school class in the parlor from 9.45 to 10.45, love for you to be a part of that if you're not already in a Sunday school class. It allows us to, to go a little bit deeper because the first chapter of the story, Randy Frazee's book, the story, covers Genesis 1, Genesis 2, Genesis 3, even Genesis 9. And so we began to discuss Genesis 2 and, and how the detailed account of creation of how God created uh, Eve for Adam, and it's a beautiful story, and how the two became one and how they were married and became one flesh together. And then in Wednesday nights from 7 to 8 o'clock in the parlor again, we had a discussion about how uh, God uh, created Adam and Eve, but Adam and Eve, unfortunately, our first parents committed that original sin when in their pride they wanted to be like God, and so they ate ate from the forbidden fruit that God had told them not to eat. And so now there's this problem of sin in the world, and, and, and this problem, we continue to inherit this situation, this fallen state. But God doesn't abandon us in our sin. No, as we continue through the story, we see that God has a solution, a solution to our sin problem. And it comes through a most unlikely character named Abraham. And so I would encourage you to open your pew Bibles to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 21. It may be found on page 13 of your pew Bible. Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 21. But before I read God's word, let's call upon his spirit again to guide us in the reading and preaching of his holy word. Please join me as you pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you so much that you inspired men to put pen to paper so that we might have your written word today. Oh God, I pray that as we read your words, you might speak to us, that we might hear what you want us to hear and we might receive it and our hearts might be open and transformed at the reading and the preaching of your holy word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Genesis chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. Listen to the word of the Lord. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he, Abraham, believed the Lord And the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, 
Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. This, of course, is prophesying the fact that Abraham's descendants will one day be slaves in Egypt under Pharaoh, and then eventually Moses will deliver them. But I will bring judgment on that nation, the nation of Egypt, that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall, be, you shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Here ends the reading of God's word. As the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Why did Abraham believe God? Why did Abraham believe God? Verse 6 of our Old Testament text in Genesis chapter 15 is one of the most important verses in all of the Bible. For we read, and Abraham, or in he, Abraham, believed the Lord, and he, the Lord, counted it to him as righteousness. The Apostle Paul actually quotes Genesis chapter 15 verse 6 when writing to the church in Rome In Romans chapter 4, verses 2 through 3, the Apostle Paul writes this, For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast of, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Paul not only quotes Genesis chapter 15, verse 6 in Romans, but he also quotes it when he's writing to the churches in Galatia as well. And James, the brother of Jesus, quotes Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, counted to him as righteousness. But why did Abraham believe God exactly? I mean, if you've been reading through the story with us, you know that in Genesis chapter 12, God tells Abraham to leave his homeland, to leave everything he knows, and to go to a land that God will show him. And Abraham does this, and Abraham does this because God promises Abraham that if he'll go, then God's going to bless him and make him into a great nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through Abraham. Abraham and Sarah leave their homeland and go to the land God's going to show them because they're desperate. They're desperate to have a child. Sarah is known as barren Sarah among all the people who know her. And so they go, but no child is born to them in Genesis chapter 12. In fact, in Genesis chapter 13, no child is born to them. And yet God continues to tell Abraham, believe, I will give you a child. He tells him to look at the dust of the ground. If you could count the, the grains of sand, that's how great your descendants are gonna be. And now we're in Genesis chapter 15. Many years have passed, much has happened, and yet Abraham still remains childless. Why did Abraham believe God? I mean, you've heard that old saying, right? You know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. If you fool me three times, I'm just an idiot, right? I, I mean, why would Abraham believe God? God has already told him 
This is his third time to tell him that he's going to have a, a son. And so it should be no surprise that when God speaks to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, and says, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Abraham responds to God and says, God, that's great. But O Lord God, in verse 2 and 3, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and remember, my household will be my heir. In essence, God, Abraham is saying to God, Thanks that you're my shield and my great reward, but where's the son you promised me? Where's the boy? Every time we go to bed, Sarah's talking about it once again. When are we going to get pregnant? When am I going to have that child? Abraham and Sarah are desperate for children. God knows they're desperate. That's why they left everything to follow God's call. And yet God has still not delivered a child to them in their old age. Abraham and Sarah, they're not getting any younger. Abraham was 75 when he left. Now he's well into his 80s. And Sarah was 65, and now she's into her 70s. And still no child has come. Despite the fact that they've prayed, despite the fact that they've waited, despite the fact that they've done everything they believe God wants them to do. Have you ever felt like God was slow in helping you? Slow in responding to your prayer? Slow in responding to your needs? I was talking to someone the other day uh, this week, and he was telling me about how he's been applying, trying to, he's underemployed right now. He's got a job, but it's really not making great use of his skill sets and so finances are tight and he's been applying for different positions he's used his social network as much as he can to try and find a position a a right job for him so that he might use his God-given talents he's prayed he's got other people praying for him praying that God might open the right door for him in an area of work yet he still remains underemployed God seems to be so slow in answering this man's prayer I imagine Abraham was feeling like God had been pretty slow as well Wondering, why is God moving so slowly? Abraham had followed God's call. He did what God had asked him to do. He left everything, everything behind. Left his family and went to a land that God would show him. He he came to that land. And then even when he gets to that land, there's a famine in the land. If you read Genesis 12, soon after Abraham arrives, there's a famine. He's got to escape to Egypt. And yet Abraham continues to follow God's call. And God tells him, God tells him in verse 4, that Eliezer, that's not going to be your heir. No, no. It says, verse 4, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. God says it. Abraham believes it. But really, Abraham, you believe that God's going to deliver, even though this is the third time God has had to tell you that you're going to have a son? God has been taking years to fulfill his end of the covenant. Abraham, you did everything you were supposed to do, and yet God continues to, to wait, continues to move slowly. Abraham believed God. Why? Why is it that Abraham continues to believe God despite the fact that his circumstances really haven't changed, even though he's followed God's call? Why does Abraham believe God exactly? I believe, I believe Abraham believed God because as Abraham looked at the body of God's work, he realized that our God has the ability to fulfill his promises. Notice that after God makes this promise of a son to Abraham, God tells Abraham to go outside, to look at the stars of the sky. And if you could count the number of stars, that's how great your descendants will be. 
Did you know scientists tell us that there are 70 sextillion stars? That's basically a 70 with a whole bunch of zeros behind it. There are 70 sextillion stars, which is actually 10 times the number of grains of sand on the earth, according to some scientists. So in Genesis chapter 13, verse 16, when Abraham began to doubt whether or not God was going to fulfill his promise, God tells Abraham, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. Now in Genesis chapter 15, verse 5, God tells Abraham, look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, so shall your offspring be. These are important illustrations for Abraham because God is saying, Abraham, if you don't believe me, look at what I've already done. Look at what I've already done. Look at the dust of the ground. I created that dust. In fact, I created humanity out of the dust of the ground. Look at the stars of the sky. I put every one of those in place with just a simple command of my mouth. It's the God who was able to create the heavens and the earth with a simple command of his mouth is telling Abraham that I am going to bless you with a son. I'm going to bless you. And we can see as we continue to read our text, not only God says, I'm going to do this, but he's going to carry the burden of the covenant that he's making with Abraham. As we continue to read Genesis chapter 15, verse 9, we read that God tells Abraham, it says, oh, he says, bring, God tells Abraham, bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And Abraham brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, You shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt, the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Now, in our 21st century, reading about what God asks Abraham to do, which is to basically take these, uh, these uh, animals and to cut them in half, seems a little bizarre. It's a little bizarre. Why would you want them to cut in half? But back then, one of the ways to uh, communicate a covenant and to make a covenant was to take an animal in half and cut it in half. And basically, both members making this covenant, making this promise, would walk through the animal that had been cut in half, basically saying, may God make me like one of these animals if I don't fulfill my end of the covenant. That's where we get the term cutting a covenant from. But as we look at this scene in Genesis chapter 15, we can see that it's not Abraham who has to walk through these split animals. It's God and God alone. For when the sun got down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. In the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, God is represented by smoke and fire. For when the people of Israel were delivered from the evil hand of Pharaoh in Exodus, they were led through the wilderness by a cloud, a pillar of smoke during the day, and by fire at night. 
Notice in our text that only God passes through these animals, thereby taking full responsibility for the burden of the covenant that God makes with Abraham. The creator of the heaven and the earth lets Abraham know, don't worry, just believe. I've got this. I will carry the burden of the covenant today. I promise you, I will bless you. And isn't that good news for you and me today? The blessings of God are not dependent on Abraham's good works, but rather on God's provision. Abraham is declared righteous not by by what he does, but simply because he believes. As Abraham surveys God's amazing creation with its numerous stars in the sky, Abraham believes God's word because he knows that the God who created the heavens and the earth is the same God who's able to fulfill the promise that he's made today. Even though Abraham is a sinful, broken person who previously lied about his own relationship to his wife, Sarah, when they were in Egypt, he's like, hey, tell everybody you're my sister so they don't kill me to get you. Abraham is not really the most honest guy, but but he knows God loves him. And he can see through these split animals that God in his great love for Abraham is going to carry the burden of the covenant that he makes with Abraham that day. For our God is a covenant maker and he's a covenant keeper. Ultimately, our God is willing to bear the burden of the covenant no matter the cost. You see, the first covenant that God makes to Abraham is actually found in Genesis 12. I want to read the first three verses of that chapter. God tells Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Through Abraham and his descendants, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. As we turn to the New Testament, the very first book of the New Testament, the very first chapter of the New Testament, the very first verse of the New Testament that we find in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, we find the genealogy of Jesus and we read, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. As you read through the genealogy of Jesus, we'll see that it began with Abraham, and ultimately it leads to Joseph, the fiance of Mary, Mary the mother of Jesus. Yes, we can see that God's plan all along was that he would fulfill the covenant that he makes through Abraham. Through his seed, God would bring his son, Jesus, As we look at the cross of Christ, we can see that in the cross of Christ, God has carried the burden of the covenant on our behalf. He's blessed us so that we might be a blessing to others. It's just as God walked through those animals that have been split in half many years ago, saying, may I become like one of these animals if I do not fulfill my covenant. Jesus Christ bore the burden of the covenant so that we might all be saved so that we all might be blessed with the gift of eternal life, so that we might be blessed with the assurance of eternal life, so that we might be blessed with the new life that we find in Christ, and so we might be a blessing to others. When the hardships of this life come, and they will come, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In fact, Jesus tells in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, he ends it with this uh, parable, he says, You know, anyone who hears my word and does them, he's like a man who built his house on a rock. But anyone who hears my word and does not do them is like someone who built his house on the sand. 
And when the storm comes, and the storm's going to come for the person with the house on the sand, and the storm's going to come for the person whose house on the rock. When the storms of this life come, the person whose house is built on the shifting sand of culture and its values and its desires and its passions, that house is going to fall, and great will be the fall of it. But he who builds his house on my teachings and my truth on the rock of Christ Jesus, that house will stand. My brothers and sisters, God has said he's going to carry the burden of the covenant. God is going to carry the burden of the covenant so that we all might be saved. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. It wasn't because of anything Abraham did. It was simply because he believed in the promises of God. Do we believe in the promises of God today? Do we believe in Jesus? If we believe in Jesus, then when hardships come, when tragedy strikes, the financial crisis hits, like we're starting to feel a little bit right now with the Dow Jones going way down, S&P 500 index, and the 401k seems to be shrinking, or the, or the layoff comes, or even the marriage ends. Where are we going to turn? Are we going to turn to ourselves? Or are we going to look to God? Or are we going to look to Jesus and the cross of Christ and the resurrection of Christ? Know that in Christ, we have victory. In Christ, God not only proves to be with us, but ultimately he proves to be for us. For he's carried the burden of the covenant so that we might be saved. The next time stress comes and anxiety comes, are we going to look to ourselves or are we going to look to God as Abraham did? Are we going to look to the stars in the sky? Or are we going to see how we might solve our problems? Do we recognize how blessed we really are? That we have a God who is with us and for us in Jesus Christ? A God who is willing to carry the burden of the covenant? Sean Acor, a native Texan and a Harvard graduate, has written a book that looks at the science of happiness. It's called The Happiness Advantage. And through his statistical and scientific research, he's discovered that people who are successful in life are, are very happy. But he points out that they were happy before they were successful. We often think, well, if I, if I achieve this goal, then I'll be happy. But the reality is, people who are happy are successful. And so the question is, what is it we can do to become happy, right? We all want to be happy. Well, he studied these people and he notices there's five basic habits that these people often have. And he says, if you do these five things 21 days in a row, You'll begin to build new habits. And these new habits will begin to give you a new disposition, a new view and perspective of life. Here are the five habits. Three gratitudes. People will write down three things they're thankful for each and every day for 21 days. Three different things. So that by the end of those 21 days, you've got 63 things you've written down that you're grateful for. Journaling. Taking a point to write down something you're grateful for that day. Some incident, some action, some activity. Exercise taking care of the body of the temple of the Holy Spirit, exercising, you know, meditation. And of course, as followers of Christ, we know we're called to meditate on the word of God. And then random acts of kindness. Now, Sean is a Christian, but he doesn't write the book for Christians. He writes the book for business leaders. But as I read these habits, I say, man, these are great spiritual disciplines. Giving thanks to God, as the psalmist tells us, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Taking time each and every day just to give thanks to God. As Paul exhorts the church in Philippi, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Paul writes this while he's in prison. 
telling them to give thanks. Rejoice in the Lord always again. I will say rejoice, Paul says to the church in Philippi while he's in prison and he knows the church in Philippi is being persecuted. He said, we'll take time to write three things we're grateful for. Journal those things that, that, that we're grateful for that day. And begin to meditate on God's word so that we begin to see the world through the lens of scripture and not the sound bites of the news that tell us everything's going, uh, going badly, but rather to realize that God is with us and God is for us in Jesus Christ. And of course, exercise is good. And then those random acts of kindness, allowing our faith to be lived out in such a way that we begin to bless others, being the blessing that God has called us to be. The next time you feel anxious, depressed, frustrated, Let's follow the example of Abraham who took a moment to be still and he looked to the heavens and realized that the very same God who created the stars in the sky who helps create our beautiful sunsets and sunrises that we have here in Amarillo, Texas, that same God, that same God is with us and he's for us and he has the power to fulfill his covenant promises he's made to us today. Yes, as I look at creation, as I look at the cross and the empty tomb, I'm so thankful that we have a creator, a creator of this universe who loves us so much that he didn't abandon us in our sin, but he became one of us. And through his son's perfect sacrifice, our sins were atoned for. And on the third day, he rose again, conquering sin and death on our behalf so that we can have the assurance of eternal life and the newness of life that comes through faith in him. Yes, Abraham believed God it was credited to him as righteousness. Shouldn't we believe God as well? Please join me as you pray. God, I thank you that we have Father Abraham, a model of faith for all of us today, that we can look to him and see that even in the midst of great anxiety and great disappointment, Lord, you turned his eyes towards heaven. And as he saw the stars in the sky, he knew that you are a God who can deliver on the promises you make. And as he went through this practice of splitting up these animals, he saw that you were the one who's going to carry the burden of the covenant for us today. And as we look at the cross of Christ and the empty tomb, we know that you are the God who, bear, who carried the burden of the covenant for us so that we all might be saved, so that we might be blessed to be a blessing to others. Oh God, by your spirit, help us to live into that blessing. Help us to live into that truth. When we become anxious, may we turn to you and seek strength that can only come through Jesus Christ our Lord. And it's in his name we pray and all God's people said, amen.